and welcome to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chrissy, and me, Joss. Don't forget to silence all phones. Or don't, it's a podcast. And most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, stagey friends. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Curtain. We are here today with another conversation with a stagey special guest. This is another episode which had to wait a little to make it to this space, but we are so excited to share it with you now. This episode was recorded last summer and honestly is one of my favorite interviews ever. It all started when the lovely Madeline reached out to us about interviewing her professor, who had written a memoir about his time working in the theater industry. She put us in touch with David Loud, who began his Broadway career at the age of 19 in the original production of Merrily We Roll Along. As a music director, David has worked on several iconic shows with names we all consider Broadway royalty. He is currently the music director for the Musical Theatre Program at Manhattan School of Music. Before we introduce you to David, we would love to share a little blurb about his book. Experience Broadway musicals from a new perspective, from the conductor's podium. David Loud occupies a unique place in Broadway history. In addition to his distinguished career as one of Broadway's most respected music directors, he originated three Broadway roles as an actor, including his appearance in the original cast of Stephen Sondheim's legendary failure and cult classic, Merrily We Roll Along, directed by Harold Prince. In a career spanning several decades, he served as music director for original Broadway productions of Ragtime, Curtains, Sondheim on Sondheim, The Visit, The Scottsboro Boys, and Steel Pier, as well as revivals of She Loves Me, Sweeney Todd, Company, and Porgy and Bess. And he appeared alongside Zoe Caldwell and Audra McDonald in Terrence McNally's Tony-winning play, Masterclass. Facing the Music is David's poignant and hilarious memoir of his extraordinary adventures conducting Broadway shows, rubbing shoulders with John Kander, Fred Ebb, Audra McDonald, Stephen Sondheim, Harold Prince, Angela Lansbury, Cheetah Rivera, Roger Rees, Zoe Caldwell, Marin Mazzi, Jerry Bach, Sheldon Harnick, Garth Drabinsky, and Barbara Cook, among others. It is also a look at his path to the podium from his one-of-a-kind childhood, a stage-struck kid growing up at a school devoted to organic farming and mountain climbing, to formative experiences at an elite New England prep school in Yale University. His coming out as a gay man and his diagnosis as a person with Parkinson's disease, combined with his extraordinarily entertaining backstage anecdotes, make for a riveting look at what it means to live, love, and make music in the rarefied air of Broadway. And here to chat with us about all things facing the music is the author, David Loud. Welcome to Breaking the Curtain, David. We are so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a treat to be here with both of you. We are so thrilled to have you here. Chrissy and I, in addition to being theater fans and artists, we are big readers. Yes. So, of course, this is right up our alley. Of course, we have introduced you in our little introduction there, but we always like to give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves in their own words. Thank you. Uh, my name is David Loud, and I'm a Broadway music director. Uh, I have been doing that illustrious job for 34 years. And I wrote a book about it called Facing the Music. Um, It's a memoir of my time on Broadway and the shows I worked on and the insane and interesting and uh, baffling and thrilling people I worked with during that time. Um, It's also a book about the teachers who got me there uh, and 
and about uh, dealing with some illness uh, that, that that came at me and sort of ended my career there and, and sort of propelled me into another place in the business, which I'm loving as much as conducting, which is teaching. That's wonderful. So for our listeners at home who might be a little bit unfamiliar, would you like to explain to yeah. them what a music director is responsible for on Broadway? Well, I think that nobody really knows the answer to that question. I'm, I'm always amazed at how few people, even in the business, really understand what a music director does. And I actually understand why they don't, because it's very complicated. Musical theater is the most collaborative of all the art forms. You have a book writer, you have a composer, you have a lyricist, you have a director, you have a choreographer, you have a music director, you have designers who have to design musically. Everything comes down to the music. Scenery in a, in a musical can't, you don't just bring the curtain down, change the set and bring it back up. The scenery has to dance off to the music and come back on and land on the beat and there's gotta be a little ding and then the scene starts. You know, everything has to collaborate. The choreography has to match the lighting and the book has to match the, 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 the direction. And it all comes through the music director. And if you think about where we're placed in a, in a Broadway musical, at the front of the stage, up on a podium with an orchestra below us, the stage in front of us, the audience at, our, at the back of our neck, we're like the heartbeat of the musical. Mm-hmm. We see everything. We, we um, sort of exist in many directions at the same time, constantly listening, constantly following. It's a, it's a, it's a very electric place to be in the musical. And the responsibility for the music extends to how the music works with the choreography, how the music works with the vocal period of the show. You know, does it does it um, satisfy what the director wants in terms of his the oral composition of his, of his vision? Um, so, in addition to sort of being responsible for the music, which is the ob- obvious answer um, as to what a, what a music director's job is, it's also collaborating in all those different directions at the same time. Sort of an octopus with a baton. <laughs> That's very true. I like what you said about how a music director sees everything because I yes. think Chrissy can agree. Uh, every time I've worked on a show, they know, they know there's no hiding it. <laughs> there's no hiding. Yes, if the leading lady is sick, you're the one who's dealing with yeah. it there, you know, <laughs> pushing her through the songs or giving her room to breathe or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. You know all the secrets. <laughs> all the secrets. It's, I'm always in awe because, you know, I think as performers, it's very easy to be kind of like in that mindset mm-hmm. of I'm doing th- all of this, but so many people do so much more. And the music director is such a big job, such a big job. And I really don't think it gets enough credit. So that's another reason I'm very excited um, about your book mm-hmm. to Thank learn you. the inner secrets of the music directors. <laughs> it, it's a job so big, it can overwhelm you. You know, you're responsible for maintaining the show, for keeping the music in good shape, for rehearsing replacements, for casting the understudies, for, it can be endless amounts of work. And I've never been a very good, um, I don't even know the word, um, 
you know, giver of work to other people to do. Delegator? <laughs> Delegator, thank you. Thank you, yes. That's never been my strong suit. I, I sort of like to get in there and do it myself, which is not the healthiest um, choice all the time. But yeah, a big broad, like when I was music directing Ragtime on Broadway, it was like maintaining a, you know, a 500 person factory of, of, of theater. It was just so big. And, you know, you'd come in on a Sunday matinee and there'd be seven people out. And you, and you have to make sure that the swings were gonna go on and sing the right alto part and not the wrong alto part because it wouldn't balance if they did that one. And there's a lot to, lot to get right. Yes, definitely. What would you say is one of the biggest things you've learned in working as a music director? Mm. Right towards the end of my career, I worked on a show called The Visit. Mm. Uh, I was on Broadway pretty briefly with Chita Rivera and Roger Reese. And it was not a success. And it was a show that, the show that I'd worked on for almost 15 years from the first um, reading that we did with Angela Lansbury and Philip Bosco to actually being on Broadway 15 years later with Chita Rivera and Roger Reese. I did three out of town productions of it, all with different combinations of stars. And when we finally got to Broadway and it, it was sort of a surreal journey, it's a, it's a strange play anyway. And um, I discovered that I could conduct the show as if for the first time tonight. And that was a revelation for me because I've, I've always been wanting to hit my marks and make sure it was the same as last night. And I thought for this show, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna conduct these people in the orchestra, these people in the cast for this audience tonight. I, I found that I was making music in the present, present tense. Amazing. And it took me a long time to, to reach that place. That was something I, I discovered after 33 years of, of work in the business. And it, it made me so happy. Mm to conduct that show that way. Just to sort of take what was in front of me and start. Nice, wow, yeah. We're so lucky in this business to be doing things that we love and learning and discovering things that, you know, that we didn't know about a profession that we thought we knew everything about or I mean, to be able to just continue to explore what it means to conduct a show was such a privilege for me over the years that I, that I worked. I, was, I had such a charm, blessed career of working on, for the most part, very happy productions, um, you know, where there was a, a leading actor who took care of everybody in a way that made the whole company relax and want to come to work, you know, to work with People like David Hyde Pierce on Curtains or Boyd Gaines on She Loves Me. These are actors who take responsibility for everybody around them. And it, it becomes a place of great joy to come to work. Yeah, I had to say that I was very excited when I saw that you did Curtains when we were reading your bio yes. and stuff, because that's one of the first shows I ever did at Community Theater. Oh. And I think it is so brilliant. So I was reading through your bio, which is incredible, by the way. You've done so many amazing things, but I was like- I have been around a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, curtains, yes. 
Well, curtains was one of those just extraordinarily happy experiences. Mm. We had the best company and they just loved playing with each other. They loved playing the show together. And David Hyde Pierce just created this atmosphere of, you know, he worked hard, so everybody worked hard. You couldn't get away without working hard. He wouldn't dream of missing a show. So the kids who were making their Broadway debuts were being modeled by performers who wouldn't ever call in sick. And so they never called in sick. And we had a, we had a very um, attentive and present uh, company in that, in that regard. And he would give parties for everybody and he would give presents to everybody and he'd write you little poems on your birthday. And um, he wrote me a poem, I think I was 49. Roses are red. Uh, oh shit! Wait, wait. Uh, roses are red. Homos are proud. Um, whatever the music, the best music's loud. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Adorable. Yeah. And I know that you also did, I believe, some acting before you transitioned into music directing. Is that correct? I did. I made my Broadway debut when I was nineteen in the cast of Merrily We Roll Along, nice. uh, which was an extraordinary experience and an extraordinary introduction to professional life on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> I actually recommend starting with a big bomb <laughs> because then when you get a success and something actually runs and you really know what you got right. then. Mm -hmm. You know, these kids who come out of uh, conservatory and go right into, the, into a lead role in Wicked. Right. That's not, that's not Broadway. That's not how <laughs> You got to start with a big bomb. Yeah. We started with the biggest. That was just, it was brutal. Uh, I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. And, and at that point in my life, I was already obsessed with the work of Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince and a big fan of, of Broadway and what that meant. I wasn't actually pursuing a career as an actor at the time. I was at Yale undergrad uh, studying music and I, I happened to, to see an ad in Variety newspaper about an open call and thought, well, that sounds fun. And I went and all of a sudden, a year later, I was on Broadway. Wow. The big bomb. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. We talk a lot about flop shows or shows that did bomb. And it's so right. funny how so many of them, despite having that reputation, have such like a loyal following and yes. have since that initial um, introduction have just grown. Yeah. And I think Absolutely. Merrily is one of them. Oh yeah. Merrily has the, has the goods behind it. Yes. Too. I mean, it has a brilliant score uh, that we recorded the night after, the day after we closed. Uh, we closed on a Saturday and re recorded it all day Sunday the next day. Wow. And you can hear how exhausted we are in the album, but how excited we are also to, um, to be um, preserving the score that we believed in so, mm -hmm. we loved so mm -hmm. much and people hated so much in that original production. I knew that eventually it would be recognized as you know, one of his masterpieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has it ever completely worked? I don't think so really, but... Everybody thinks they know how to make it work. So that's always interesting. <laughs> yeah, and now it's such a classic. I know the amount of people I've heard sing um, 
not a day goes by. Yes. Like going right. through theater. I think I've heard like maybe 10 different people sing the song. It's always oh, yes. right. beautiful. And right. you don't think about where the show started. You just go, wow, that's a brilliant piece. And it's become that's this an A plus song. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It is. A plus song. Uh, and the whole score is like that. Really. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. it's constructed so carefully. The the way um, certain motifs mm -hmm. develop and undevelop through the show as it goes backwards are, are so creative. And I mean, that overture is just, mm. it's one of the three best overtures. On Absolutely, yeah, I agree. I put Gypsy and Funny Girl and Merrily up there on the top. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Top tier. <laughs> Those are very good top three. Phenomenal, yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the Leonard Bernstein fans grousing about <laughs> what about Candide? <laughs> I, I put the overture for on the 20th century up there too. Oh That's yes. Nice. That's a great That's one. A good one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, the overture, to, I have the overture to funny girl, my um, roommate in college, cause we did theater. She would play that mm. every day on the drive to uh, school. Get you up. Every single day, the <laughs> overture to funny girl. Um, <laughs> And so we wanted to ask, because you've had some career transitions, you've been a performer, you've been a music director, you are now teaching, you know, we would love to kind of talk to you about some of your favorite aspects about each of those points in your career. Oh my, that's an interesting question. Um, well, the thing about Merrily for me was, um, it kind of illuminated where I didn't belong in the business. As fun as it was for me to be on stage and singing and dancing, I could tell that that really wasn't what I was built for. I didn't have the voice or the, the talent that, that most of the people, most of the other people in the cast had. Um, I, I could play the piano, so I had a, you know, I had a very specific function <laughs> in, the, in the play. Uh, but really what, what I learned, one of, the thing, one of the many things I learned during that production was that there was this other job uh, that Paul Gemignani was doing in Merrily, and that was, you know, conducting. He was, he was such a powerful force in keeping us together and keeping us rooted and grounded. And um, we were very inexperienced. We didn't know how to follow a conductor. We weren't following the conductor at the beginning of previews. And he just, through the force of his personality, harnessed our attention and forced us to yes. sing together by watching him. Mm. That was a very powerful lesson. I mean, he did it with tricks. He had little chalkboards that he would write us notes on. <laughs> so you'd have to look down to him and see it. He would put on a, you know, a, a, a bear costume and surprise everybody. And we'd all be, everybody would be saying, you know, look at Paul Gemignani, look at Paul Gemignani, <laughs> which was the point. <laughs> You know, he'd use his baton as a flute or a <laughs> sword or a pea shooter or, you know. <laughs> so, so our attention was always down there and he used that attention to make us sing this. Uh, many years later, he told me all this, the, the, <laughs> the, the, these tricks that he used. He wasn't just being funny, he was specifically trying to get us to pull, which is what you have to do when you're, when you're singing in a Broadway show. And we didn't know mm -hmm. that being, you know, 18 and 19. Um, 
there were a couple other times uh, early in, in my career that I, I played parts where they needed an actor who could play the piano or a pianist who could say a few lines. And those were always great experiences for me because I love actors and I love working with actors. And I got to work with one of the great, great um, dramatic actresses uh, on Broadway, Zoe Caldwell, when we were preparing Janice McNally's play Masterclass, which had the, this pianist who was on stage the entire play. And to watch her sculpt that performance, uh, I think three out of town places we did it before coming to Broadway and just watch her building it and building it and refining it and learning about it. And that was incredible mm -hmm. to see, to see that happen. And it was nice that it was about a year that I did that show and it was a year without understudy rehearsals and replacement swing auditions and you know, giving the chorus all the notes about their, their cutoff. I, all I had to do was just do my part, which was, you know, sit on the piano bench and watch Zoe Caldwell act the shit out of a great play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a real, those are real treats for me. Nice. The other one I did like that was a, a play called Billy Bishop Goes to War. Yes. Which is written for an actor and a piano player. And Scott Ellis and I did that all around the country. Uh, and then he became a director. And when you're a director, you want to work with people you know. So he hired me as music director for five Broadway shows. And you never know which production is going to sort of carry you along right. to your next, right. next career goals. But that was a, we had a great collaboration and as, as fellow actors. And then it morphed into a collaboration as director and music director that was terrific for both of us. Yeah. That's Wonderful. incredible how those partnerships stay with you and grow with you. Yes. Yes. And the people that you're doing summer stock with one, right. one disgusting year, you know, sharing a bed and, and you know, eating potato salad all summer. <laughs> those are the people who 10 years later, all of a sudden you're working on right. <laughs> I and love that. They know you and you know them. And it's uh, you never know who's gonna end up where. So true. It's very so true. true. <laughs> I did summer stock eating potato salad all summer at the, the Surf Light Summer Theater. Nice. On Long Beach Island. We would do 12 shows in 12 weeks with no day off. And I, as much as I thought I had learned doing Merrily We Roll Along, those two summers on Long Beach Island, I mean, I really understood and explored 24 classic music theater scores in those two summers. And you're seeing how the vocal arrangements are being written and how the dance arrangements develop and how musicals move from dialogue to song, which is right. always such a thrilling and important journey. Uh, I mean, most of the shows we did at Surflight were pretty bad, but every now and then it'd be a really good one. <laughs> the right cast would line up with the right roles and you could, you could feel the audience sort of waking up like, oh, this, this isn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> those, those actually were great summers for me nice. sort of like going to war <laughs> <laughs> but the, the end result is something stronger than you started out at <laughs> right. right yeah you know builds character <laughs> yeah it builds that it does yes
So what inspired you to sit down and write a book about your experiences in the industry? I, uh, I had a very strange childhood. I, my, my parents were teachers and they ended up teaching uh, when I was in fourth grade, when I was going to fourth grade at an organic farm that was a, a boarding school up in the Adirondack Mountains. And this was not where I belonged in life. I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to be in New York. I wanted to be, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to do from you know, when I was five or six years old. And all of a sudden I was on this, working on this organic farm, going to school and climbing mountains. And it's a great school. It was not where I wanted to be really. Um, and so I, I started like engineering my life to sort of escape the world of plucking chickens and milking cows and mucking out horse poop from, from the stalls. And uh, I visit my grandmother in New York and we would go see shows together. Mm -hmm. She loved theater. Uh, but many years after I graduated from North Country School, which is the, the school that I went to up there, they asked me to come back and give a commencement address. And I started sort of thinking about my time there and, and actually remembering my wonderful, wonderful piano teacher there who um, would write a show every year for the students. And if there was a student who reminded him of Cleopatra, then he'd write a show about Cleopatra that year. And, and he wrote really funny, interesting musicals. Um, and to thinking back on how, what a great example he was of an artist who did whatever the hell he wanted mm. and didn't try to follow rules or do what other people wanted. He, he, just, he just wrote whatever he wanted and we thought it was brilliant and we did it and we had fun and, and he, he gave us great confidence in that way. Um, so anyway, I gave this commencement address about how North Country School had prepared me without my knowing it really for the, for the community of working on a show. Because working on an organic farm and um, working as a group and understanding that you are part of something larger than yourself is exactly the same as working on a show where you are a cog among many cogs and you work together to create something larger than yourself. Um, so I gave that speech and I, I sang some songs during it. And um, this very nice lady came up to me and said, uh, I think this should be a book and I think you should write it. And if you write it, I'll publish it. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and she uh, went to my husband and said, I don't think David believed me, but I'm actually a successful publisher in New York City. And if he writes a book, I'd love to work on it with him. Oh, amazing. So he he made me go and have an appointment with her. And I, for the next six and a half years, I was writing and rewriting this book. Um, and she is actually publishing it. So lucky me, it was just a, a lovely coincidence. Um, and uh, it, it did take a long time. I, I sort of, I wrote it and then it was much too much. And I wrote it again. And then she introduced me to a wonderful editor and he, she made me write it again. And that was really hard, mm. but I'm thrilled with the way it came out. And it's, 
Um, I can't wait for people to read it. Yeah. Fabulous. How would you describe it to someone who's, you know, picking it up off the shelf? It's a funny and poignant look at 34 years in the business nice. and how I got there. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I worked on some, some pretty uh, sort of legendary shows yes, with yeah. some rather remarkable people yeah. when you start thinking about well, merrily we roll along with mm -hmm. Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince and George Firth and Paul Gemignani and Ron Field and Ragtime with Garth Strabinsky yes. and Stephen Flaherty and Brian Sox Mitchell and Marin Maisie mm -hmm. and Audrey McDonald. Masterclass with Terrence McNally and Audrey McDonald again. Uh, I mean, I've just been so lucky to be surrounded by the truly great and the truly entertaining. And you know how it is in theater. I mean, hilarious things happen to you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Never a dull moment. <laughs> yeah. Never a dull moment. It's so true. true. So true. You asked about, you know, sort of the last transition in my life too, when um, my Parkinson's really was preventing me from conducting eight shows a week finally. I, I just sort of landed in this new theater program that was starting at the Manhattan School of Music. A gentleman named Louis Perez was f founding a new program there within the hundred year old institution of Manhattan School of Music, which has always had opera programs and jazz programs and classical music programs, conducting programs, composition programs, but never had musical theater. So we founded one five years ago and it's been such a joy to, to teach there because the, the students are so motivated. I know it's a conservatory, not a um, you know, well-rounded education. <laughs> um, so these are students who have sort of made the choice and are knuckling down and doing the work. Amazing. I teach a year long history of music theater course that is so, so thrilling for me to learn about as I, I mean, that first year, I was only a couple of weeks ahead of the class <laughs> doing my research. I've now taught it four times nice. and I'm, I'm a little bit more on top of it, but I, I, I learned so much every year mm -hmm. doing it. Um, I also teach song performance for the freshmen wow. with my friend Mana Allen, who was in Merrily with me oh. many years ago. And we, we just start from the very beginning. You know, what do you do when you get a song and you have to sing it? You know, how do you start? What does it mean? What do you do? What's your, what's your technique? Mm -hmm. So we start them on that journey. I, I never wanted to be a teacher. I never thought that that was my ultimate goal, but boy, do I love it. Mm. Mm. You know, to see someone get better because of something you've said, mm. it's such a gift. Yeah. And learning how to help and not just, uh, we try not to coach them into better performances, but rather teach them how to coach themselves mm. into better performances so that they're learning what it is that's working not just parroting what a, you know, what a, or I can make anybody sing a song better, but can they do it themselves the next time? Is, the, mm. is of course the big, yeah. the big question. Gosh. 
you know, we love arts teachers on here. We talk mm. very fondly about the ones we've had. We talk about people who are out there and um, just sharing both the love of theater as well as passing on the education. Mm-hmm. And honestly, vocal performance and theater history, love it. My theater history course <laughs> was my favorite thing at class I've ever took in my entire life. Um, and- Well, I, I sort of constructed the course to mimic the way that I fell in love with theater. I make them read the books that made me fall in love with theater. They read Act One by Moss Hart. They read On the Street Where I Live Mm -hmm. by Alan J. Lerner. Uh, I think Jack Vertel's book, The Secrets of the Broadway Mm -hmm. Musical is so helpful to understanding how musicals are constructed. Uh, And also Ted Chapin's book, Everything Was Possible, which he wrote when he was an intern on the original production of Follies. And they're not scholarly texts. They're they're books that are about the actual business of theater and Mm -hmm. making a life in theater and extraordinary things that can happen to you in that life. Um, So far, it seems to be working. Everybody's very um, inspired by the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) We talk a lot about our, our listeners who are young theater kids who want to go and perform or create art in any way that they can. Uh, is there any advice that you would like to give to them today while you're here? It's, it's so tempting to be like other people mm-hmm. when you're young and you look at, look at performers that you admire and um, you want to be like them. Of course you want to be like them. Um, and that's fine as a sort of process for figuring out who you are. Mm-hmm. But really that's the ultimate goal is figuring out who you are not how well can I imitate yeah. so-and-so or this and that. Um, and it's a, it's a long process figuring out who you really are and what makes you special. And often it's the things we don't like about ourselves that make us interesting or set us apart a little bit from the, from the crowd. And telling the truth about yourself, this was something that I struggled with my whole mm-hmm. life, you know, being gay and then having this you know, disease that I thought was gonna stop me from working in the business. I covered it up, I, I papered it over. I, I tried not to let the secret out. And ultimately letting the secret out frees you as a human being. Yes. And uh, that journey that a performer has to make to understanding really who they are and how they work and what makes them tick, what makes them fall in love, what makes them, you know, scream out in anger, the thing, all the things that you, you have to do on stage has to come from a real place that you have to have explored. Um, and that's a, that's a hard journey to make, but if, as long as you understand that only good things will happen from being honest and truthful and, and learning what it is about you that makes you special so that when you sing, you know, defying gravity, it's your performance of it and not your imitation of 30,000 other people Mm -hmm. doing it. 
then you've then you've arrived someplace yeah. interesting yeah. you know that i would pay money to see that just got me misty <laughs> yeah. yeah me too i'm like thinking a lot here <laughs> uh, but that no, is beautiful yes yeah thank yeah. you for sharing that i'm i'm inspired yes um, so me I'm too. Sure all of the theater babies at home will be <laughs> as well <laughs> and you know through this long and exciting career that you've had, you know, is there any memory or story that stands out to you that you would like to share here with us today? You know, I could read, um, I could read one little section from my book. Do you have it? Yes. We would love that. We'd love that. Yeah. Okay. This is a, a short little chapter uh, <laughs> uh, that I wrote uh, during about uh, the Broadway production of Curtains. Uh, which I conducted and also played the role of Sasha, the conductor of the musical within the musical. Um, so I had costumes, is the point I'm trying to convey here, in curtains that I had to wear. And this is uh, a portrait of William I Long at my, co my costume fitting. <laughs> Chapter 25, 2007. Why, asks William I Long, he speaks in a tone so dire that I'm afraid the rest of the question is going to be, has the sun gone out? His dramatic pause having stretched to the proportions of Greek tragedy, he continues, doesn't the hem on his left sleeve match the hem on his right sleeve? Acolytes scurry, measurements are taken, brows are furrowed. I'm standing in the middle of a brightly lit fitting room. There are mirrors everywhere. Time has graciously agreed to stand still for a few moments while the master costumer works on my second act suit for curtains. To be the focus of a William Ivy Long costume fitting is to exist at the center of the universe. Every iota of attention is aimed at you at making you look thinner or taller, at bringing out your cheekbones or flattering your hips or compensating discreetly for that slight irregularity involving your left leg. He sculpts the fabric, the buttons, the zippers, the shoulder pads, tailoring the garment to make you look powerful or innocent or dangerous, whichever is inspired and required by the story he is telling. William is wearing what he always wears, a blue blazer, a white shirt and khakis. That is the only outfit I've ever seen him in by careful design. He doesn't distract. This magician of velvet, poplin and lace dresses himself only to disappear. We are in our first week of rehearsals for the Broadway production of Curtains. Three assistants, their eyes trained on me as if connected by wires, dark like hummingbirds, making chalk marks on fabric, ripping seams, inserting pins, widening plackets. And there are his eyes, seeing into the future, imagining the garment under lights, against the set, from the balcony, from the front row, and from H101, the seat on the aisle where the critic from the New York Times will be sitting. William's eyes see every detail, every flaw. That hem is crooked, the zipper shows. David, darling, raise your arms. So tight in the back. Why must the fabric bunch like that? Seamstress, underlings scamper. A wiry old seamstress appears. The lining is rethought. Scissors are employed. Needles threaded. Elastic stays installed. Near the second act, Near the end of the second act of Curtains, 
As I conduct the overture to the show within the show, the podium will rise up, revealing me as Sasha in an ivory-colored Western-style tuxedo, glittering with black rhinestones. The rhinestones form music notes on the staff, scrolling fancifully across the back of my tuxedo jacket. In a razzle-dazzling detail, William has designed the notes to, be, to precisely match the melody that the orchestra will be playing as Sasha levitates into place. This flurry of activity down by the pit will happen in eight measures of music, mere seconds, just enough time to cover a scene change. But William is treating the ivory tux as if it is the suit in which the next King of England is going to be crowned. This is my third fitting and it won't be my last. My tuxedo is one of over 250 costumes he has designed for curtains. There are 12 major characters, each with several changes of clothes. The men and women in the chorus play cowboys, cowgirls, gamblers, floozies, stagehands, riverboat passengers, and dream dancers. They appear in pajamas, rehearsal clothes, and opening night formal wear. But God damn it, those hems on Sasha's sleeves had better match, or something evil will happen to somebody. William hasn't earned the discreetly whispered sobriquet, poison ivy for nothing. I raise my arms again as if I were conducting. He examines the back of the jacket, peering closely at my sleeves. The world waits. Much better, he says finally. And the color is fantastic. Relief floods the room. Who's next, he calls. A hireling guides me away. As I leave, William is already on his hands and knees, glasses perched on the tip of his nose, intently scrutinizing Deborah Monk's costumed derriere, reworking the draping of one of her glamorous businesswoman outfits. She looks terrific. Disaster, I hear him saying. I change into my street clothes and hurry across town, back to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm oh, excited. My I can't Me wait to read it. Oh, that's so nice of Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank it was truly so an honor to have you. You two are so sweet and you, you have such a genuine love for the theater and that comes out in your shows. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. That means that's, the world that's to very us. Meaningful. Thank you so much. It, it inspires us. Thank you. So Thank, Thank you so you. much. That's so nice of you to say. It, it, like Chrissy said, it means the world, especially coming from someone like you who has such a level of love and respect exactly. for the theater. Wow. What a wonderful conversation. It was truly like a little theater history class, and I loved every minute of it. Right? I have goosebumps. I've got to read this book. Hey, Chrissy, when is it coming out? Well, Jocelyn... The release date is March 22nd, 2022. Facing the Music is now available for pre-order on Amazon or through your favorite bookstore. Awesome. So let's wrap this episode up so I can go pre-order it. Let's do it. <laughs> See you guys next time. Bye.